listening to Sci-Fi TV Rewatch, episode 434. My name is Dave, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Wayne, as we continue our look at Apple TV Plus's new series, Foundation, based on the classic Isaac Asimov novel. So, how are you doing this week? I'm great. Well, I actually just, uh, I sprained my pinky before. I don't know if I talked about this before, but, so I've down to uh losing the brace and now just a little strap on but holding my pinky to the the finger next to it oh nice so won't people won't have to ask me anymore what i did and then i won't have to tell them i sprained my pinky when they ask me that question so all right sounds good well i uh went to home depot today and turned in all my tools and i am no longer qualified or to do anything so I will just say that I had a effing disaster because I did not hit uh, heed Clint's warning that a man's got to know his limitations. And uh, it's always dangerous to go to the kitchen sink with a wrench in your hand. Oh, boy. Dude, um, <laughs> that water was shooting. It, oh it was goodness. hitting the ceiling. Wow. You know? and. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, the valves, the shutoff valves weren't working right under the sink. I'm running down the basement, which is the damn main shut. You know, I'm yeah. turning every lever I could find. Of course, oh, I label Lord. the damn things now. Um, <laughs> um, dude, I mean, everywhere. I had to take everything out of the cabinets. And, uh, and, and you know, look, I, I understand there people that had real floods and, uh, you know, but th- this was pretty... Uh, yeah. pretty eye-opening and uh so i call our plumber you know and you know okay they're gonna come out and, and i'm like okay fine they'll get here around five now they got here early the guy got us to the point where we had water everywhere in the house except the kitchen okay fine you know my wife's mother's supposed well, to come what's over going on for lunch well he he didn't have you long story short i needed a new faucet you know, right. that, that if he put, if he reassembled the old one, it's still going to leak. Now, gotcha. granted, it's not going to be a geyser, <laughs> like, right. um, but that's because I took it apart. Um, and anyway, so, okay, fine. My wife's like, oh, mom's coming over for lunch tomorrow. I'm like, look, dude, I can make it work. Well, how? So I'll just get water from the laundry room. I mean, you know, you know where my laundry room is next to my kitchen. Yeah, it's not, down, yeah just down the hall. Eight feet. So, uh Anyway, so I get the faucet, call the plumber back, and they're like, well, somebody can come out in two weeks. I'm like, two weeks? I'm not going to be without my kitchen Dude, water for two weeks. I got weeks. you, man. I, I can do this. So, well, okay. I'm <laughs> like, okay, talk to your manager. Call me back. Of course, they never call me back. I get on the internet, look somebody up. Dude, they were here like in a half an hour. They weren't here more than about 35, 40 minutes. I'm good to go. All right, cool. So, well, you got plumbing skills, huh? I got I got some plumbing skills. And I did a couple of years ago. It sounds almost exactly like yours, except uh, we knew our, our sink was kind of going. And my wife just turned the water on and it like blew the faucet off and the water was shooting up into the air. Yeah. Um, and so uh, she got it turned off and. Yeah, I basically went to Home Depot and bought a, a new kit and installed it and everything. So, but it's funny you should say that because yesterday I go into my 
the, the girls' bathroom. The, we, our kids have like kind of like a separate bathroom. I was forced there because my wife was using ours. So uh, I went to wash my hands, and the the sink was clogged up. So yeah, I went and uh, got. We have this like little black thing you can just you know kind of shove down. Pulls out all the gunk and the hair and everything. Usually it's good, but I did that. It wasn't good. So I went down and took out the the u-bend and everything like of course that's gonna definitely you know it's like what i didn't get before and that still didn't work and and then i realized that when the plumber had put in the, the all the fixtures underneath when we, we he or the guy the contractor we did our bathroom back when we bought the house had kind of finagled it a little bit he had like a one of those bendable pipes that I don't think are up to code that he had in there and everything. And so I realized that, A, uh, I wasn't finding the clog and that it was further back than I thought. And so that, that was when I got to the point, as you said, uh, you got to know your limits. <laughs> I realized that, okay, this I've, I've done, I think I've did a pretty good job of trying to figure out this problem, but um, it is it is beyond my my skills and my ability to not mess up the entire house. And uh, and then I couldn't put everything back, all the other pieces. Uh, every time I, I tried to put all the, the pipes and screw them back on, um, one it was leaking from one point or another. And so finally I just said, forget it. I'm, I'm calling the plumber. So, oh, so. But this was not a, a, an emergency because it's just the bathroom and the girls can use our bathroom yeah. to wash their hands or, <clears throat> or brush their teeth for the next couple of days so it's not a big deal but yeah you know it's it's definitely you know because there was there was definitely a lot at first a lot of water all over the place i was just grabbing towels out of the closet to s- soak up the water and everything and it was just a it was just a mess yep so uh by the way you're listening to dave and wayne talk plumbing and, uh, <laughs> and- all right, let's let's stop there and, and get your, into your the contracting, uh, household fixed needs, and everything. No kidding. So let's let's get to the what we're watching. And I think you mentioned one time that you watched this, and we just finished season one of FX Networks, The Americans. Oh yeah! Oh, and I'm so jealous. I love The Americans. Not sure how it never crossed our radar. Number one, wow, racy stuff on FX, FX Network, but, you know, that's cool. But uh, if you don't know the show, and of course I know you do, it follows two Russian spies, Carrie Russell and Matthew Rees, who are deeply embedded into American culture, and, and they have two children, and, and they are KGB spies. And does it make me a bad person that I'm rooting for the Russians? Exactly, right? It goes I mean, against so, like so much of our conditioning from our youth, right? I mean, you just think about it now. It's so silly. I mean, just think about how demonized the Russians were in in our consciousness and how they were the bad guys and everything. And they're just these terrible people looking to end our way of life. And yeah, you know, and I think that's probably what I said when, when I was talking about back when I mentioned it and, you know, when I was actually watching, I think it was like a year ago. Yeah, you're uh, the uh, the Russians. The Russian spies are like the good guys, kind I, of. Right, right. <laughs> and, I mean, I think the that's Americans. What... You're rooting against like the FBI and everything, you know? Right, and I, I guess what when it's down to it, there are no good guys in this storyline. You know, there are some innocents 
for sure. Right. But uh, anyway, what are you watching? Well, uh, I think I texted you the other day because I finally watched uh, Dickinson. Yeah. And I, I love it, man. It's so good. I mean, obviously not genre, um, but really good. Um, I didn't know. This is kind of like, I mean, not. I'm not ashamed of it, but a secret of mine. I guess not many people know that like Emily Dickinson is like one of my absolute favorite writers. Um, probably my single favorite poet. Though I, I realized I didn't really know a lot about her biography and everything. So, and while, I mean, obviously, you know, Dickinson makes no bones about being accurate or anything like that, but the characters are, are actual characters from her life and everything. So it was interesting kind of going and reading about who these people actually were and everything. And of course, uh, you know, by, by Jake's niece, uh, Haley Steinfeld is the, uh, plays the the lead role and and she is 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 really good and i think i think we actually mentioned pitch perfect last week and here we go mentioning again because uh she was in at least two of the pitch perfect movies maybe all three i don't know my my daughters have watched them i i i have seen them i I will admit so but yeah uh it's great i'm totally totally love it Highly, highly recommend it. Yeah, and that's on Apple TV Plus. Uh, you know, so if you got it for Foundation, you can check it out. They're half-hour episodes, and it, it's like a modern take on Dickinson. Uh, yet they are, you know, period costumes, period. Right. Settings yeah, it takes place that. in the actual time period, but they they speak like very modern people you know yeah um like the 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 girl the little girl group is probably the funniest one i think and yeah. i just remember the they're talking about uh i, I think the father is like what are, what are those girls babbling about what nonsense are they babbling about upstairs and then they're talking about like you know the geopolitical stuff in you know the uh late 1850s or whatever and uh you know the one girl says to the other, she's like you're so woke yeah. And the girl goes, I know. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, they, yeah, they, they, they speak a totally modern parlance, but it, it, it is back in the 18th century. And it does, you know, bring, call something to mind. Because we, we read about a person like Emily Dickinson, or anyone really from history, and we think of them as being, you know, figures in history that, you know, that they have no real connection to, to actual real life, especially someone like Emily Dickinson, whose biography is so unusual and um, who probably has as much mythology built around her as any writer in American history. You know, we tend to think of these remote people who, you know, but in, in truth that, well, they were teenagers and young adults and they had the, the same desires and the same, you know, wants and, and, and aspirations and life goals and everything that, that we do today. All right. Sounds good. Well, let's go ahead and move on to some foundation. What do you say? Okay. All right. Episode seven, season one, mysteries and martyrs written by Caitlin Saunders directed once again by Jennifer Fong, who directed one Oh six aired October 29th, 2021. You know, just two questions real quickly, and and I I got my answer. You know, I'm sure you're the same way as most podcasters are. You write questions down, and then you realize you get the answer before the episode ends. And one of the questions I had is, how real is this version of Harry Seldon? And we kind of alluded to it 
I think last week or the week before about how they were going to handle that aspect of the book. And, and they're still playing fast and loose with, uh, you know, Selden's appearances here. But, right. uh, I mean, clearly it's a hologram, but how real is it? Well, right, because it's like a hologram, but it's his consciousness, right? So, you know, she can interact with it. She can talk to it. It can respond to her. Right, and in in not the same way as she might converse with an AI. Right. So we don't really have a good grasp on the technology, how this all works out. We're just expected to run with it, which is fine. I think we, exactly, exactly. There's definitely a suspension of disbelief time, and, and that's fine. There's no right. problem. But the other question that still plagues me, and again, it's one of those questions, yeah, it's easy for you to say. You're sitting in your comfortable chair in your studio. Should Salvor and the others have sacrificed themselves once they learned of Farrah's plan? I mean, they they could have taken the whole thing down if they wanted to. I just don't know how to really feel about that. I mean... Well, I, I, I'm going to fall back on what I said last week in that Salvor is kind of, she's giving herself over to the force, you know. She trusts that somehow Harry Selden is speaking through her. And so what her instincts tell her to do are ultimately is going to be the right thing to do. Yeah. And That's how I look at it. Because you're yeah. right. Probably most people, and I was thinking the same thing, like, in this situation. But on the other hand, of course, like, she's going after the Empire, right? Not the Foundation. Well, she's right. She's planning on taking out Trantor. Right. So, you know, that's no skin off Harry's back. Not Harry's. Salver's back. Yeah. You know? Like, her people would be okay. Well, that's true, but then that's not very altruistic of her, no, is it? So. No, but I'm, I'm just saying that. But I, I, no, I, even though I, I think most people in that situation would probably think, okay, if I sacrifice myself here, then I save millions or billions of people. That's probably something most people would do. But I truly believe, at, like as Salvor said last week, that she – She's she's kind of running on the the spirit of Harry Selden, and you know so she's just going to kind of follow her instincts because she thinks that's that's what Selden wants me to do. Whatever I feel like I need to do, that's that's what that's what I'm supposed to do. Yeah. So you know it's really fascinating as we watch her talk to at first that wounded, glitching Harry, and it, it, it's like she talks him back to the present because we're not even sure what's going on here i mean is this time travel i mean those of us that have read the novels i I think we have a reasonable sense of where it might be going and and i I think we're fairly correct in in our assessment but when he reveals that something went wrong with the plan that gail was supposed to lead the first foundation but race went rogue and and all that i find that fascinating because Harry's admitting that he was wrong and that the the plan failed unless he it, that's what he planned all well, along he planned to well, say well, that well, his plan also, yeah and, and right and and this whole thing of also uh Gale being able to see the future kind of flies in the face of 
everything they've established about psychohistory where it's he can predict things for large groups of people, but he can't predict you know what one person will do. So even his quote unquote plan, well, he shouldn't have counted on that because it's just a one person's decision, right? Like you know, he, his whole plan couldn't have hinged on you know uh, race, uh, uh, you know, staying and eventually just kind of sneaking out the back door. And Gail then leading the people to trans- uh, terminus, he was relying on individual decisions, which, like I said, from what he's told us about psychohistory, is completely the opposite of how psychohistory works. So, you know, I mean, it just seems there's some inconsistency here. Yeah. You know. Right. Well, the other thing I, I like is the way they parallel. Harry's quote to Gail, where, where he says, the foundation needs more than a man to inspire it. It needs a myth that can endure for centuries. And the other uh, story that we're following is the charismatic Zephyr Halima, uh, you know, going toe to toe with Brother Day. And, you know, will she be that that mythical figure that can endure for centuries or is Brother Day going to crush her under the foot and, you know, the the genetic dynasty will, will move on? Yeah, you know, I mean, I get like Brother Day has like kind of investment in the genetic dynasty, but I mean, there's just little that we've seen about it that is good at all, you know, and it, it turns downright horrific in this episode. Yeah, and I mean, that that part of the story where he sees his authority challenged and first though he confronts uh Demerzel about her betrayal and her explanation while reasonable seems to fall on deaf ears which is not to be unexpected but the other thing that that i found interesting is that and again unless i misheard apparently it's not common knowledge that she's an ai that right. that we know it but outside of the inner circle, apparently she's perceived to be human. At least that's what I took for uh, what was said. Yes. Yeah. They they definitely, he definitely said something about how no one knows that, that she's an AI. I guess there's not a lot of, like of pictures of the previous emperors either because that she's in, because that would, you know, kind of give it away right? as well. But, you know, and I've mentioned that I'm still rewatching Battlestar Galactica and, and the Cylons and, and their, uh, you know, fixation on the one true God and, and having faith in the one true God. And, and, you know, certainly one of the questions we have to ask here is, can her faith coexist with her duty to the Empire? Because as, as he points out, you're coded to you know, be loyal to me. And, and, of course, she argues that, well, I wasn't disloyal by you know, kneeling down before Zephyr Halima. Of course, he doesn't see it that way. I mean, it's a solid point, though, you know? Like, if she's coded to not be disloyal, then it's impossible for her to betray you. Right. So So no matter what she did, no matter how you interpret what she did, it wasn't betrayal. Right. And then, of course, he asks her if she wanted to kneel, but she kind of dodges the question as – Many good politicians have, uh, but but <laughs> the, the fact that Halima 
poses the real threat is not lost on Brother Day. And, and of course, we know she believes the genetic dynasty is going to be the ruin of civilization. And she's probably not wrong, given what right. we know at, at this point. It seems he misinterprets her actions as ploys to get things that the planets need when that's not it at all. And she's like, no, I just want to bring the genetic dynasty to an end. Period. Yeah. I don't want anything. I don't. I don't want a water system. I mean, it'd be nice to have, but that's right. and that's, not, <laughs> that's not why I'm doing it. Yeah. the way I'm yeah. doing it. He clearly is not used to dealing with people who don't want something, right? Like because he's for him, it's easy for him to to buy them people off. You know, like you know, I'll just offer you some some water. What else you need? You know, I can get you some. You know, factories, whatever. What, what, what do you need? I, I get it for you. But, you know, like if dealing with someone who is coming from a spiritual standpoint, right, and who can't be bought, he's at a loss. Well, for a little bit, he's at a loss. But, you know, they Halima uh, conveniently provides him with a vehicle through which he can get the victory here. Yeah, and that's to walk the spiral, which which uh, you know we'll get to in a second. But you know the the whole thing about her challenging him and the fact that she is clearly unafraid of what he might do to her, and of course we know that as the presumptive uh, presumptive leader of this three trillion strong religious force he also understands that he has to certainly play the game to a certain extent he can't simply have her taken out because it's going to reverberate throughout the uh the galaxy and and that line she uses which is just awesome you are the reverberations of a dead man's ego and when you look at it in those simple terms that's exactly what it is. Now, I guess we could argue that, well, Cleon I was an effective ruler, and we don't know necessarily what came before, but you know, the, the Trantor was in great shape, so why not let the good times roll? And that's, of course, what happens, but that doesn't mean it's accurate. So I, I love the way she, she phrases that, and it, and it really it kind of stuns him for, for a moment. But as you said, she gives him an opportunity. Do you think she understands what it is she's just done? Um, because I think we know he's going to successfully complete the spiral. Right. And then what? Well, maybe by completing the spiral, he will, you know, like he'll undergo a transformation that will, I, I feel like she, this is, still in a way what she's wanted okay <clears throat> you know i mean and, and i guess it's just because you're you know if you read foundation enough you're like used to oh well this is how it's supposed to happen you know like i you know this is i'm just following the way things are supposed to go and you know harry selden's plan is you know trumps everything and and, and all that so you know, in, in a way, I, I feel like she, like Harry, kind of has a long view of of how things are going to shake out. Brother Day is just kind of playing into the 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 
her her plan as is. Okay, and because he certainly thinks that okay, I got you. You gave me my opening. I'm going to take it, and we'll let the mother and the crone decide whether he's soulless and incapable of growth so that ultimately we're going to find out who's right and who's wrong in in all of this. Yeah. I, I guess the interesting thing will be to find out, you know, is this all part of her master plan? And I would say the little bit we've seen of her, that seems pretty likely. And again, as you just allude set against Harry's plan, it's, it's a, uh, you know, it's a perfect parallel. So, yeah. Um, now, Brother Dawn faces an existential crisis of another <laughs> kind, and the uh, flirtation takes a big step. Dawn tells Azura he doesn't know what to do <laughs> as they're head, heading into the bedroom. And she's like, ah, I got you, young man. I'll, I'll, I'll you know, take the lead. And they make love among the plants, which is fitting at this point. But, uh, you know, her gift of the color correcting lenses i mean i guess what do you give the uh, supreme leader of a country when you're a botanist but right you know we're given a lot more information i mean we get a lot of information in this episode this this was a really good episode for sure and we learn about his weakness and you know, tied into what we've got going on in the background, you know, Harry's prediction that the empire is going to fall. Well, is it going to fall because the genetic dynasty is getting physically weaker? I mean, there doesn't seem to be anything wrong with Brother Dawn's mind, but physically, you know, he's got some issues. Color blindness, right. while, you know, we might not see it as, as that big a deal. I mean, certainly Azura doesn't, but. Right. Well, there, there. If he is a perfect copy, well, then he's not, right? Exactly. Unless every other Cleon has also had these and just kept it covered up, you know, because he's obviously completely unwilling to to talk to anyone or, or share his quote unquote like you know shortcomings. Um, which being colorblind is not a shortcoming, but you know, for him, it means he is not. A perfect copy, but maybe they they all are like that. There's, but no one's saying anything because they're all afraid of you know they'll be killed if if they you know mention that they they have any kind of anything about them that makes them different from the others. Yeah, and and I'm guessing that's not the case. I'm guessing that he is a genetic anomaly. But but it goes back to sure. The, but how does that happen? Well, you know, well, Fred, this is for you. How does that happen, Fred? Yeah, right. But we then. You know, come back to the idea of free will, you know, whether or not he is going to just do what's expected of him. He talks about all of his differences and the concerns he has. And she says, well, would that be so terrible to be different, to be your own person? And in his world, I guess it is. So now we're we're left to wonder how much influence will Azura have over him? I mean, to this point, there doesn't seem to be any nefarious motive, you know, well, you think so? She, okay. I mean, then we get to the point is she working for brother dusk because it, it would seem that's a possibility as we see her in the shower and he's standing outside the shower, just wearing a towel. So what does all that mean? I guess I don't want to believe 
that she's working for Brother Dusk. And then we get back to the whole question of the Cleons and and uh, I forget, I have to go back and look. Somebody in 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 a Facebook post kind of charted it out every 30 years or so you know there there's a a transition that uh, dawn becomes day day becomes dusk so what would be dusk's motivation for screwing with dawn i mean it's not as if if he gets rid of dawn that somehow he's going to go back and be day again right right so but it certainly seemed that way that that she's working for him so unless he's protecting the dynasty by keeping an eye on brother uh, Don and, and simply using Azura. Yeah. I just, you know, like I, I just from like, I mean, just like a little thing. It's like they, they show how he, you know, takes off his bracelet, which then the, so the, the, he doesn't have the force field around him yeah. any longer when he's with her. Well, I'm like, well, okay. He's certainly, Making himself vulnerable, um, you know, both physically and emotionally there. But, I, you know, they, it seems like they make a big deal out of him taking off that bracelet. So, I mean, it is, you know, I, I, granted, you know, they're making a big deal because he is demonstrating his his willingness to leave himself vulnerable in, in this relationship. But I also feel like it there, there might be something else there, you know. And then her whole plan of you know, changing his face and doing all this stuff so that they can get him out of there. You know, it just seems like really kind of suspicious. Yeah. I mean, that's a lot to have considered, Uh, but even before we get there, he takes her and shows her Cleon the first and the spare Cleons that are in stasis, which that was pretty darn cool. I must say. Uh, And that while they're in stasis, they're receiving information that if they have to be activated, they're up to date with everything. As he says, if if they learn how different he is, and, and we've talked about this in prior podcasts about how he just seems out of sync with the other two, whether it's you know drinking at the dinner table, eating at the dinner table, whatever they're doing, he's out of sync. And the Empire must be protected from mistakes like me. It's just really heartbreaking that he sees himself that way and and i guess the question will be is what is she really doing at this point you know does she really care for him does she really want to help him escape and live a a life where he can be himself uh, you know unencumbered with the expectations of being cleon i guess he's the 14th i think so i guess we will see and, and you know well it, it, all of these things, you know, we can see again if we look through the the lens of psychohistory, you know, we can see like these are just more and more like little cracks in the system. You know, we know that the empire is in the decline, and so when we see things like this, that we know, all right, these are just you know kind of more examples that um, that you know that the the we're witnessing the end of the empire. Well, let's. Um 
talk about boarding the Invictus because we do get four storylines in this episode and they don't feel forced. You know, they are natural extensions of, of what's going on in, in the foundation world. But this is the first story that we see. So in the opening scene of the episode, and I know you were happy, there was no opening voiceover, but yeah. we, we sort of get one when Salvor's telling Hugo about stories her father used to tell her. But the main thing is we realize we're, you know, in this debris field, and they find the Invictus. Uh, and I, I'm sure you probably taught the, the uh, William Ernest Henley poem at some point, Yeah, Invictus, uh, which means unconquerable, which given what we know about this ship that they're after, seems like a fitting name for the ship. This was the jewel of the Imperial fleet, disappeared 700 years ago. And this is not some plan that Farrah just put together. And, and, you know, the first things we learn, this is the third time the Anacreons have been on this ship and they've failed to, you know, really get very far. And, and right. we don't know how many people they've lost, but she's pretty determined. And, and again, th- well, like Thomas Edison said, they found out the ways not to make a light bulb. So, yeah, exactly. So they've got to board it, and, and she's certain that she's got the right people to take care of whatever needs to be done at this point. So, you know, I had said last week that I'm maybe willing to give her a chance that maybe she's really doing all of this for her people who are, you know, in need or whatever. And you were like, no. And you were right, I must say. Um, you know, they, they suit up. They're going to board the Invictus. Um, you know, the, the, the plan is that the Empire commander, the guy that survived the crash ship, well, he's got a neural implant that's, you know, going to let them gain some access. What's the deal with Hugo, do you think? Is that it for Hugo? Is he dead? I mean, he, his suit malfunctions. He drifts off into space. I feel like we're not going to see Hugo again, but you know, never say never. Yeah, I mean, I love Hugo. I can't imagine anybody that doesn't. Yeah, but he's great. It's like to get rid of him. Like, here, here's all right. That's exactly why I would think that they we haven't seen the last because he's such a a great character, and they've invested so much in time and and energy and lines in him to just do him like that, right? To just ha- it's not like it's even in, he's not even in the book. So they could do whatever they wanted with his character. So just to like have him randomly just miss the circle and just float off in the space, like, come on, how, yeah. how are you going to do Hugo like that? Right? Uh, really? I mean, there, there couldn't be a less heroic end for this really heroic figure. But on the other hand, it's going to feel kind of like a cheat if he does somehow survive. And And again, we've seen enough space fiction to know that as he's floating out there you know some random ship will come by and it's like you know the arm will reach out grab him bring him on board and you know he's saved it could happen so yeah it could happen right but but i think more to the point salvor now once again in this short period of time has to battle grief amidst this dangerous mission because she's not over her father's death i mean she certainly i don't think she feels guilty for his death but she certainly feels 
you know, responsible to a certain extent. I mean, I think she knows like we know there was nothing that was going to stop her father from doing what needed to be done to take out those ships, but doesn't make her grief any easier to deal with. So whether or not Hugo makes it back, the grief she's going through is still real and, and, and is still going to, I think, guide her decisions moving forward for for sure. But uh, Farah, you know, she, she followed what you knew about her as soon as uh, the commander serves his purpose, she executes him. And right. that, was, that was her work. He served his yeah. purpose. Well, and, that, but, you know, here's the problem with that is that the people that you still need to do future things see that and they're like, well, F that. <laughs> I'm not going to do what you want me to do that. You're just going to kill me. What's the point, you know? Right. So, so it's it's not a solid, it's, you know, very, it's dramatic. But honestly, even any bad guy worth half their salt is not going to do something like that. You just, you, you know, you still got, you, you need, you know, like, what well, Lewis is still there, right? And Salvor is still there. And, you know, you need them to do stuff for you, but they're not going to do it if they think you're just going to shoot them the second they do. That's just uh, poor poor thinking there. Well, and it's short-sighted. I mean, this is, after all, the jewel of the Imperial fleet. So isn't it possible you might need them for something that you didn't necessarily count on needing them for? Right. I mean, you don't have any other Imperial officers on board i mean that's not salvor that's certainly not lewis and i forget who the other person is that they brought on it's a woman i believe so yeah well you know we will see but the other thing that that i was curious about as we're, we're watching the invictus crew you know, obviously long dead floating in this weightless atmosphere is what the hell happened to them you have the most powerful ship you know in the on the planet and yet something happened. And yeah, I mean, we yeah. learned that there was a breach to the hull or whatever, but I mean, come on, you can't fix a breach to the hull. My God. the Well, if they gets- couldn't like Salver Harden and her group of belters are going to do it. Like, yeah, I can't believe it's taking me this long to really say I, every time I hear her talk, I'm just like, man, did they just grab her from the cast of the expanse? Cause she's yeah. just like, She's she totally talks like one of the belters and everything, yeah. and has that gritty belter attitude too. And they're in the Anthor belt, so yeah, right. I mean that's a natural, a natural extension. Yeah, I mean, how did the original crew lose control, and yet they're able to fix it so easily? Exactly. With, with really relatively no knowledge. I mean, this ship's seven hundred years old, so. Obviously, it's still a powerful sh- vessel, but, uh, you know, whatever. Um, but we learned that her plan is to take the ship to Trantor and nuke it. And I I like that scene where Salvor tries to reason with Farrah's lieutenant. And even though he turns her down, I'm not sure this is the last we're going to see of her attempt to bring him on board to what really should be done. I mean, is vengeance, does that run that deeply in him as it does in Farah? I get the sense that it doesn't. I mean, it doesn't seem, right. It doesn't seem like it does well. Yeah. You know, and, uh, it, it is that kind of a trope, you know, like the, the second in command who's a little soft, you know, is, is the one that you can like kind of sneakily 
turn so he betrays the the leader you know i i feel like we've seen that before so you know i'm not not crazy about it but it looks like that's where they're going with that yeah and of course watching the americans uh you know well you know you were spying for the americans on your russian people now you're going to spy for the russian people now it's like all right, we're going to get into this intricate disinformation plan. Uh, is this part of Farrah's plan that, that she assumes Salvor will try to win him to her side? Yeah, yeah, I don't know. But uh, yeah, Farrah doesn't seem like she's like a super like deep thinker. You know, she's kind of like has a um, very goal-directed behavior and anything outside of that purview, she's not really working out very well, I don't think. Yeah, and I guess we don't really know how much she knows about the intricacies of the Invictus. So, you know, did she acquire, you know, schematics of the ship? We don't know that. So my guess is it's kind of trial and error. And that now the third time, this is, of course, as far as they uh, she's ever gotten. But, you know, there's still a ways away from... You know, taking the ship back to Trantor. So anyway, um, what else haven't we talked about? I don't know. I think pretty – well, I mean, I just like – I guess, you know, going back to, to Gail and, and Harry, you know, again, like th- this idea where, oh, she can just, t- you know, see the future, right? So, I mean, I just to me, that was just like a bothersome, you know, plot device that they're using – just because, and not even talking about the book, but just in the show itself, as as I said before, how they've established kind of how psychohistory works and how Harry Seldon has been able to kind of work out what's going to go on and, and how he's tried to engineer it so that the you know collapse of the empire doesn't result in as much of a dark age as as it otherwise would. But now you have, instead of just, you know, using math to figure out large scale movements of people. Now it's just, Oh, we have this character. You just totally see the future. So boom, there you go. Yeah. Uh, you want to hear what Fred's got for us? Let's do it. All right. Hello, Dave and Wayne and all listeners to sci-fi TV rewatch. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for foundation. Season 1, Episode 7. Okay, Dave, thank you very much for a Lucifer spoiler. Last week you were talking that it took to the end of Season 3 before Lucifer reveals himself to Detective Decker. Well, I'm at Season 2, Episode 8, so now I know how long I have to wait. More than a season, even. Well, it also has a good thing, because every episode I think, will he reveal himself, will he reveal himself, and I can be at ease now for a while. So the comic period is quite intense, because a lot of my education takes place within the period of November till February, March, more or less. And I really wonder what will happen with COVID, because the signs are not so good here. Figures are going up again. A lot of people in the hospitals again, although 85% of the population is fully vaccinated. But you see that mostly it are the unvaccinated now that land up in the hospital. 
And people do get COVID, although they are vaccinated, but less severe most of the time. And one of the problems is, of course, the Delta variant, which is 100% in the Netherlands, and that is much more infectious. So we have, for instance, uh, school kids here that are 11 years or 12 years old. They are not vaccinated in some of these classes. Um, I have a colleague and her daughter has it and uh, 18 or 17 others in the class have it. None of them very sick at that age. But okay, at home they could affect somebody else. So we get new restrictions again, using nose mouth masks again. One and a half meter is not a must, but is very much advised. And you have to use your QR code in more places. So I really wonder if we will go back to the online education again, or at least partly. Okay, going into Foundation Episode 7. Really good episode. Finally, we get a content that's in... What would I say? Equilibrium between action and story-wise. Finally, we get more of Gale together with Harry. Or at least Harry's brainwaves with a nice hologram. I really found it very funny. Then when when she slapped him, and you actually forget it, it's a hologram. And she slapped quite through him. And that he pops up every time. She walks away from him and he gets back to her every time. I really think they have more or less of the same character, those two. I also found the Cleo story this time a little more interesting. So they have copies there, even copies that are up to date, that when one Cleon is killed or whatever, that they immediately can put another one there. I really wonder what they do with them after a whole life. Are you a whole life in such a canister? So you get all the information of the free-living Cleon into your brain, uh, although you're unconscious probably, and you just in stasis there. And and if that Cleon lives a long life, as most of them do, yeah, that's that's just it. Such a waste. As a concept, okay. As a safeguard, okay. But in real life, well, a bit too much effort for just a safeguard. And Azura is quite tickling the young Cleon. She should call him Cleon. I really wonder when they go by their name, who comes when you call them, Hey, Cleon, come here. But she's tickling him with all kinds of ideas of freedom and going away and things like that. I don't think, as Wayne suggested, there would be an Azura in every Cleon's life. I do like the power play between Brother Day and Sefer Halima. It's quite, uh, yeah, interesting. Not unpredictable, but they play it well, both. Also, the Selver story gets more exciting and intriguing going to this ship. So I'm going to prepare a lecture. That will be all then for this time. Greetings. All the best, Fred from the Netherlands. All right. Um, You know, I'm always interested to hear how things are going uh, regarding COVID in in another country. And and certainly Fred's, you know, kept us apprised of what they're doing in the Netherlands. Uh, Personally, I get my medical advice from Joe Rogan. I don't know about you. Oh, I'm sorry. Dr. Joe Rogan. Dude. (laughs) Does Aaron Rodgers realize how stupid he sounds when he says stuff like that? I think the idea of being stupid (laughs) is that when you sound stupid, you don't know it. 
you know, I mean, fine. You don't want to get vaccinated. Okay, fine. Whatever. But <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Fred mentions the uh, really enjoying Harry's hologram popping up in different physical locations in, in the ship as he's arguing with Gail. And I, and I too thought that was just awesome. Yeah, I didn't really think about what they do with the older copies in the genetic dynasty. Uh, now, we did see the one, right? I, I guess they disintegrated it, right? The, the, we saw the ceremony with Brother Dusk. I forget how many episodes back. So Yeah, but they I, were just disintegrating him. Yeah. Like we didn't know back then that they had just like standby copies. Right, right. So Which I kind of got to go with Fred there. That's kind of, to me, that's pretty horrific that they have... Or does it reinforce what, um, that's something I meant to talk about. Like, does it reinforce what, what Halima said that he has no soul, right? He really doesn't. That if they treat just these standbys as just matter, as, as just things and not actual people, then what does that make the guys who get decanted, right? Yeah. Are they any different? I'd say it's likely they're not, you know? Right. Although Brother Don would uh, disagree, I think, as would Azura. Yeah, he also brings up the the power play between Halima and, and Day, and and that's obviously going to be a big thing in the in the next episode. So you know, it's almost that that's a tough one. I don't know what Vegas odds are on who's going to win this one. Yeah, I, I'm guessing he's going to maybe win but realize winning's one thing let me win let me take my victory and get back to trantor and yeah and i I feel like he's going to undergo a spiritual transformation that then causes him to align his objectives with those of halima Okay, I I I love that. I mean, if that would be the case, and, and because it would be fascinating then to watch how that would impact the relationship he has with Demerzel, because I I would think it would have to, you know, exactly after their confrontation on. And they can you know, finally just get it on, right? Yeah, <laughs> like enough of this manby pamby stuff. Let's just do it. So, all right. Anything <laughs> else about Fred's feedback? Um, I want to know what the QR code, What I mean, I know what a QR code is, but what they do with QR codes as in regards to to COVID in Europe. Uh, that that was like, I, I want to oh, know okay. about that. Everything else we talked about during the, uh, yeah. okay. during the discussion. Um, so. All right. Now, Fred, thank you. You didn't mention the letter grade this week. Uh, I, I'm going to go A minus. I thought this yeah, was I a pretty strong A minus, yeah. Yeah, this was a good one. And and the fact that they checked in with all four storylines, I, I think, was a good idea. I think they needed to do this. Um, we've got, what, eight, nine, and ten left to go. So, yeah, we'll see where, where we're going. Like we said, the book doesn't matter anymore. No. but um, yeah, Well, it one, matters to me. But, yeah, you know, um, <laughs> but yeah they, they definitely have so far – you know, they and like I said, I mean – they are bringing things that, again, not even with the book, but just that go seem to go against the the like kind of the basic, dare I say, foundations of the not just the book but the series itself. That that's my concern is this whole um, you know Gale is a superhero things kind of 
I'm a little worried about it, Dave, I have to admit. Okay. All right. Well, listen, one thing I want to bring up before we sign out of the podcast here, uh, Joe brought up in the Facebook group about the ads that are appearing in the podcast. And it's, it's something that I was aware of, you know, I got this email, you know, so-and-so wants to advertise in your podcast, you know, this thing I signed up for a while back. I'm like, yeah, whatever. I don't even know what it's for because once I edit the podcast, I I don't generally listen. Sometimes I do, but I'm not the one that inserts the ad, that that it's done dynamically, that, that somehow they can detect a good place to insert it. And I want to put it at the beginning. For podcasts that I listen to, I prefer the ad to be there at the beginning, get it over with, and then that's it. And no matter what I do, no matter what boxes I check, they keep putting it in the middle. So it is what it is. And and as I said to Joe in the Facebook group, we'll determine whether it's actually worth it to us to to be part of this program. I mean, if we're going to make like $4.83, you know, then maybe we'll just can it and, and go from there. But anyway... All right, well, let's go ahead and sign out of here. That will do it for this episode of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. Thank you for joining us. Love to hear what you think about Foundation, anything going on in your genre TV world. Join the Facebook group if you haven't already. If you're already a member, you can spread the word. Emails, sci-fi TV rewatch at gmail.com. We'll be back next week to talk about episode eight of the Apple TV Plus series Foundation. But until then... You know, Dave, I think we have to hire a, uh, a detective or something to follow you around and keep tabs on you because you're too dangerous, unfettered. Especially in the kitchen. 